Welcome to Best Way to Divorce TV show live stream, Making Peace Our Weapon of Choice. My guests today are Harry Benson from the Marriage Foundation. Yep, you heard me right. Ruth Driscoll, the life liberator who helps you deal with controlling and coercive relationships. A shared story from Monica uh, about AI, artificial intelligence and online divorce, which uh, she told me about on the golf course in Forest Row the other day. So I asked her to come along and share it with us because I thought you'd find that interesting. And uh, we will end with a lovely healing. And um, I will be having a bit of a rant later based on no fault divorce law change, what that will mean for families and children caught up in a tug of love between parents. But uh, let's go first right now to our first interview. And welcome, welcome, Harry. It's great to have you on the yeah, show. Lovely. I've been keen to have you on for ages because you're, you. yeah, and I love the, because um, you're a proper, a proper sort of scientist and that you do proper statistics and you look into things and you don't just come up with, with wild statements like the rest of us. And you've got some really interesting data on um, marriage. And so it's not just opinions, it's backed up by facts. And there's so much we can talk about, but to start sure. with, I would love to hear about, I uh, know that you have a few things to say about second marriages, and I know that some of the people watching, that will be, um, yeah, that will be uh, useful for them to know about. Perhaps you could share some of that with us. And just introduce yourself a little bit first about, about some of the work that you do. Sure. Um, thank you. Uh, my name's Harry Benson. Um, I've spent the last 20 years um, teaching and researching and writing about marriage. Um, after my first careers as variously a Navy pilot and then a financier in Asia. Um, so I've had an odd selection of careers. Um, I'm currently doing a PhD at the University of Bristol uh, on why the rich marry and the poor don't. I've been married 35 years. I've got six kids, so we've done something hopefully um, okay. Um, and my brain is currently spinning with um, PhD stuff, um, um, looking at all sorts of aspects of marriage. Anyway, there we go. Um, so where were we? You had a question. Yes, about today. about some of you got some data <laughs> oh, about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, interestingly, um, <clears throat> I mean, second marriages are famously um, the, the triumph of um, hope over or optimism over experience or hope over experience. Um, but actually, um, amazingly enough, I was I did some research on this um, some years ago, and we found that the divorce rate of second marriages is actually lower um, than that of first marriages. And it's, it's actually mostly a function of age. If you start people at the same age, then they do worse. But uh, because second marriages, by definition, start later, um, then um, the divorce rate's quite a bit lower. So that's, that's um, reasonable grounds for hope and optimism if you want to get married a second time. So basically, uh, older people just seem to be a better at relationships, which I suppose is no surprise. Would that be the reason? What, what do you think is the reason? I don't know that that necessarily follows, but I, I, I suspect that people are a little bit once bitten, twice twice shy, um, and they may be making, they may be making better choices. Um, I'm not sure whether people always necessarily learn from their experience, but mm. um, um, they're certainly doing better and being older, wiser. Maybe they're better off. Um, and also, once you've actually found somebody, there's there's a degree of inertia that you kind of don't want to ditch them after a while. Um, you want to put up with what you, you're more likely to put up with what you've got for longer uh, and make it work. And interestingly, actually, we did some research on um, unhappy marriages because there's this thing about getting stuck, trapped in an unhappy marriage. And we found that about a third of people in unhappy marriages split up, but the rest of them, 10 years later, are deeply happy, uh, which is amazing. So people tend not to get stuck totally in a rut. Um, they do actually either make it, most of them make it work, um, and uh, a few actually fall by the wayside. Um, and what led you into this? Give us a little bit of your own story. Um, Kate and I, my wife Kate and I had been married eight years. Um, we met when I was uh, still flying in the Navy. Um, we were then moved to Asia um, and we had our first two kids in Asia. And we did a very classic thing of uh, drifting apart. And many people do that. Um, you have your kids and you end up focusing. Mum ends up focusing on kids. Dad ends up focusing on work and only earning the money and uh, we drifted apart and we forgot to be friends and one day Kate confronted me and she ended up writing a letter to me 
Um, and I realized ultimately, my goodness, what have I done? Um, I've, I've neglected my wife effectively. And I never saw it coming. Um, it took a, a long time to sort it all out. And I realized that there are a lot of Harry and Kate's out there who needn't get into the mess that we did. So I ended up giving up my finance career and, and going to university and, and starting a charity and, and then ultimately working with a former High Court judge and with, with the Marriage Foundation, which is where I am now. And what's, what's a Marriage Foundation about? Because I mean, a lot of people may, may not have heard of it. Sure. Well, I would encourage anyone to go and have a look at the website. There is a wealth of, of um, interesting and useful and useless information about um, about stats on marriage. I mean, we do research on marriage. The idea is that marriage rates have been falling for a very long time. Uh, people have lost confidence in marriage. People still want to get married in their droves. Um, but um, marriage rates have been falling, particularly amongst low-income families. Um, and it, we need to re rediscover our confidence in marriage. And we think the best way to do that is by putting the evidence out there and showing what actually makes a difference. Um, and why marriages work and what it is about marriage what's the the, the psychology of marriage about um, how does commitment work that might actually make people change their behavior or why it might cement their commitment um, and does it actually um, improve people's odds of, of staying together and, and children doing better and all that sort of thing as it's often claimed and we think the answer is yes so the marriage foundation is there is a, we're a flag waver uh, we're there to give you hope um, in the reality we're grounded in empiricism. So were, were that terrifying data, which obviously I think most of us suspect anyway, that, uh, that within a, a stable married relationship, the children tend to do better. What's your message to the many, many people who, where they're not in that situation and often you know, may mm. well be through no, you know, it's not that they've necessarily gone out and done anything wrong. So yeah. they're in that situation. What's your message? How can the, the data that you've acquired be useful to them or, or um, inspiring or reassuring in any way? Um, first of all, I mean, if you're a lone parent, then I salute you. Um, you do a heroic job. My mother was a lone parent, so I was brought up in a lone parent family. Uh, my sister's a lone parent. Uh, my sister-in-law's a lone parent. They're all utterly heroic um, parents. Um, and um, so it doesn't matter what family structure you're in, but um, it definitely does have an effect on how the, the kids tend to turn out on average. Um, and I think one of the biggest things, certainly, and, and I'm speaking more about my experience as a, as a child from a lone parent family, is that the, the split up of my parents happened when I was three. So I've got no real recollection of when they, when they, um, uh, they did it. But I've got somewhere in my brain this sort of rather nice little model of mum and dad lurking in there. And that split up when they were, when I was three, you know, and I'm 61 now, it's still utterly foundational to how I see the world. To my mum, it's obviously a world away. You know, she, she split up from dad, that was it, move on, remarried. She's been remarried 50 years now, and amazing, amazingly. So she's done brilliantly, perfect second marriage. Um, and um, so my, I suppose my message really is, A, of course you can do a fabulous job. Um, but um, B, um, your perspective as a parent of the child is likely to be very different. And even if you think you want to get over it, which of course you do, um, then the child may still be, have deep down in their worldview, um, they may see the world um, very differently to you. And actually, uh, it, may, it can affect their, their willingness to commit, for example. So um, the, the supposedly the worst breakups for kids are the ones where there's not conflict. That might seem counterintuitive, but actually, when you think about it, um, if you split up uh, without fighting, um, the kids just don't see where it's come from. It makes no mm -hmm. sense at all. And so there's, they can develop this, this worldview that relationships just go pop for no apparent reason. And that mm. can affect their own future willingness to commit. So that's quite an interesting thought. That's very um, interesting. And I'm... I'm... Yes, I would hope that no one would take that as an excuse to have, a, have a, you know, because it does harm the children if the parents are having a go at each yeah, other. Absolutely. But, but, but nonetheless, that, that the lack of communication of what's happened to the family unit, the lack yeah. of explanation, which I think is very common, especially with small children, um, yeah, to is it has far-reaching consequences. And what are those consequences? So, how are you measuring this data? 
the outcomes? Um, I suppose one of the, the most powerful studies that we did, um, and you can look it up on, uh, on our website, marriagefoundation.org.uk, um, is we looked at teenage mental health. Um, and we were measuring from um, the marital status, for example, of, of when uh, the child was born and then followed over 14 years of this huge sample with a, a British sample, British survey called the Millennium Cohort Study. Um, and we, they, the parents were asked lots of questions about the uh, teenagers' mental health um, when they were 14. Um, and we basically found that the single biggest factor um, that predicted more mental health problems on its own, regardless of age and education and whatever of the parents and ethnicity, um, was whether the father was living in the house, whether the parents, i.e. whether the parents had split up or stayed together. And whether the parents split up or stayed together is hugely dependent on, on the commitment that parents make. And, and the most obvious way of doing that is, um, and the ultimate way of doing that is through getting married. Um, so marriage has an effect on whether you stay together and whether you stay together has a huge effect on, on teenage teenage well-being in all, on a variety of different ways. And there's also been studies, haven't there, on that, that and in the UK, which is nice because they're often they're all in America. These studies, mm. which um, basically the outcome was that kids who um, were from families that split could have actually sometimes better outcome than those that had parents who stayed together, if because it was all about in that case the quality of the relationship between the parents. So it's it's. Um, it's a tricky one because obviously if you've got parents that know how to communicate well in a healthy way and get on and stay together, that's always going to be ideal. Yeah. Um, if they're uh, not getting on, then it's very dis destructive. So that's where you, you actually help couples, don't you? And you're quite different. We're not going to have a go at relate, but you know, relate is the first place where a lot of people go. But you, the other people like yourself who offer counselling, you have a very different... Um, a different approach, which I really like. Can you just share that with people? Yeah, well, when I first um, got into this field, um, having decided that I wanted to help other couples like me who need to get into the mess that we got into, I, I set up a charity in Bristol um, teaching relationship classes. Um, and um, we, I, I mean, I got into this field called relationship education, and there's some really good research on it. So you can teach people practical skills of how to love um, and, um, and also how to avoid bad habits, um, which are destructive to relationships, how to recognize your own bad habits. You know, simple um, example of that would be um, scoring points, um, thinking the worst, opting out and putting down. I haven't talked about this for ages actually, so it's all coming, coming back to me, um, but I've taught it thousands of times. But STOP, scoring points, thinking the worst, opting out, putting down, they're all signs um, they're red flags that suggest that your attitude to your other half is is not terribly positive and so you're not handling conflict very well so you can teach all this stuff um, you can teach these practical skills and i'm a great believer that when couples get into a mess before they get to the stage where they go and see you susie um, they want somebody who's actually going to help them fight for their marriage and also tell them how to do it and sadly an awful lot of couple counsellors won't do that because they think that you know the interests of the individual are, are most important um, so my advice to people when they're looking for help is first of all go and talk to your friends wise friends I think are the number one resource that we all have um, who aren't going to take sides and who will point you in the direction and probably normal help normalize your your difficulties you know that going through a bad patch is going through a bad patch and everybody's done it um, but you can learn practical skills, and there are great courses. If you Google the marriage course, you'll find it. It's mostly run by churches, but you don't have to be remotely churchy to go to these courses. And I, I highly recommend them. I think they're excellent. So learn practical skills, but also talk to someone who's actually going to fight for your marriage, rather than just you as two individuals will actually see the entity of your marriage as being important, because it's important to your kids, it's important to the outside world, to your family, to your friends as well. It has a value of its own, and you need somebody who's going to speak on, help speak on behalf of that marriage um, before it gets any way to, anywhere um, through coming your, through your doors. Before they get to me. Excellent. Exactly. That's, uh, and uh, that's, I, I love that uh, approach. I think it's wonderful. Thank you so much, Harry. And I know there's other that's things we pleasure. can talk about, and I'd love to have you back on the show another time. Bye pleasure. for now. Thanks so much. Good night. And here we go. We are now going to uh, do a bit of a, a whiz through 
the the news highlights um, I'll be putting on the links to the full stories of these so if there's any of them that catch your eye and you think oh, I'd like to find out a bit more about that one uh, just go to uh, com. it's that easy uh, by tomorrow I should have those up oh oh that's right we're going to start with ABBA the full um here we are. Abba Bjorn, can I say this? Abba's Bjorn Olveus and wife to divorce after 41 years of marriage. Uh, the couple who married in 1981 and have had two children together announced that they are set to divorce but remain good friends. So let's hope they keep it that way. Next one is Sam Hunt. And uh, Sam Hunt here, he is... Uh, uh, his pregnant wife Hannah, um, it, it, sorry, start again. Sam Hunt's pregnant wife Hannah um, Lee Fowler files for divorce. Reports say uh, always really, really tricky one when you're divorcing someone who's pregnant. There's a lot of judgment that uh, that can go around with that. So um, I hope that they manage to do things uh, in a nice way. This is a fascinating story. It's not a joke. Bucks Free Press talks of Slough woman who. Uh, divorce, she was divorced for years without knowing about it. Uh, a woman married in Slough, uh, which I don't think has anything to do with it, but she was married in Slough. She was divorced for nine years without knowing about it after her husband forged her signature on separation documents. Uh, you'll see in the, in the, if you go and have a look at the actual article, that there was a bit of a worry expressed towards the end that the, with the UK having no fault divorce coming in in April, that some people might try this themselves. I don't, you know, California's had no fault divorce for a long time. I'd be very surprised if it's ever been a real problem there, but if I'm wrong, uh, please do let me know in the comments. And here we have uh, the Mail Online Men Get a Raw Deal in divorce cases oh no this is divorce figures fell sorry i've got my things in the wrong line wrong way so um in this one we've got this is in the belfast live divorce figures fell in 2020 as couples put on a united front during the pandemic during 2020 there were 103,592 divorces granted in england and wales a five percent fall from the previous year but, or was it just that they were hanging in there because they knew that no fault divorce should be coming into force by April because it was supposed to come in actually last year so it'll be interesting to see if there's going to be a mad rush in April and probably a, a huge backlog and now we also do get to have come to our men with a raw deal so this is um, the mail online and this is interesting it says men get a raw deal in divorce cases according to the women they are splitting from the image of the poor husband getting a raw deal at the hands of a fortunate ex-wife when their marriage fails may seem like the stuff of sexist cliche says the article but men really do come off worst in most divorce cases according to the very women they are splitting from. Two thirds of wives believed it was men who got the short end of the stick when it came to child access. And of course, uh, that is often, I do believe, the case. And certainly the wonderful charity Families Need Fathers knows this to be true. Uh, so mediate, create a parenting plan, dads. Don't use the courts as a weapon as your first strategy. Uh, so you don't want to be one of those those unlucky statistics. statistics. And we have here um, the Yorkshire Post. What no-fault divorce uh, law mean will mean for families and children caught up in tug of love between parents. Um, I'm going to use that as my rant later because I've got quite a few things to, to say about that. But for now, we're going to have our second interview. Ruth, welcome. And I'm going to now make it so you can actually be heard. There you go. You're unmuted. It's oh, always, hello. <laughs> always good to have you here. So, um, so Ruth, what are we going to talk about today? Because there's always something amazing that you're working on. You've been helping, um, talking, I believe, to some Californians. I know I've been sending some Californians to you. So you're, you're very international these days, aren't you? Well, yes. Unfortunately, you know, it uh, seems to be one of those issues that spreads globally. Um, yes, uh, you know, the, the work that I do is working specifically with those people who are either in or have been in manipulative, controlling, abusive relationships. 
and obviously when you're in that kind of situation um, it, it's far more difficult when you're trying to negotiate that process of divorce and uh, have you had um, as we come into the new year do you find it seasonal in any way or does it not make much difference it's fairly constant because especially with people coming out of lockdown more Christmas all of that or, or do you think it's just fairly consistent I, I think unfortunately generally speaking it is consistent obviously there are times of year Christmas New Year Valentine's which we've just been through when you know it I think the problem can really be highlighted far more for people um, but it, you know it's it's one of those things where it's ticking along in the background even if we don't see it see it uh, you know uh, until it really comes out and and what you're just saying about uh, not seeing it I mean that's one of the biggest issues isn't it is that people don't know that they're in an abusive relationship quite often or they're not sure and and that for and obviously when we talk about this although it's many many women it's also men and um but what are the the signs without being too alarmist and getting everyone worried that uh, that they also may be in a relationship that's, that's abusive and they didn't realize um what are, what are kind of more definite signs that you know something's just not right here and I'm, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's like the end of the relationship and can never be changed i'd like to say but just that something should be done or this is because this is just not healthy ongoing yeah and, and usually I, I think the problem is that but when people think of an abusive relationship they tend to associate it with sort of physical violence but it's a you know the physical violence is is like the uh, a further manifestation of that whole process of erosion that has been going on sometimes for years beforehand um, in terms of the mental, the emotional, the verbal, just, you know, nastiness that can come in. And I think the other thing that makes it so confusing is that it can actually be good. You know, they can go through times where things seem good but it's even when it's good, it's very difficult to relax because you're kind of wondering, well, when's it going to kick off again? So really, uh, you know, if somebody is constantly making you feel bad about who you are, that you don't feel that you have those choices over what you want to do, that it's always you, you're the one who has to compromise, who has to but your own ideas, wishes, even your your dreams on hold for the sake of somebody else. And it can manifest in so many different ways. You know, it could be that, that sort of constant, naive little remarks at you that undermine you, um, make you feel that, you know, there's something perhaps wrong with you, because that's often what happens. Mm -hmm. You think you're the problem. Um, or it can even be that that whole silent treatment, you know, where somebody just acts as if you're not even there. And that can be so difficult to deal with. So there are many ways in which um, that sort of toxicity can come into a relationship and leave you feeling that you don't even know who you are anymore. And um, in the same way that um, Harry Benson, the Marriage Foundation, if they, by the time they get to me, there is a bit, it, it's not always, always, but quite often um, there wouldn't be much he could do at that stage. Um, do you find that when, by the time people get to talk to you, that it is um, too late to change? Or do you find that sometimes that by learning how to manage that difficult person, that actually it can allow what sometimes, as you say, could be a great relationship some of the time, um, that that actually can some kind of solve the problem and that it is possible to to work obviously and we're not talking extreme uh, cases here yeah i mean the fact of the matter is you know in any situation of communication that you're going through the only person that you've got any kind of um, control over is yourself 
And so any change that needs to happen comes from you. You will have fallen into a sort of default pattern of interaction with your toxic partner. And so it's learning how to recognize those patterns and then knowing exactly what you can do so that you can change that around. Now, the interesting thing about that is that as you change, as you are acting in that more empowered way, one of two things is likely to happen. The first is that your partner may turn their behavior around and become a more cooperative, more respectful person. Or the second thing is that what you will see is that that behavior, that entrenched, unpleasant behavior, either doesn't change or gets worse. And then you know that there is only one solution, and that's for you to remove yourself from that toxic environment. Because, you know, if your all your efforts don't produce any kind of difference, then you'll know that there's a very high chance you're, you're dealing with somebody who has a personality disorder, and nothing you do can change that. I think that's a, so that's there, a hard there's thing. There's a limit to the responsibility mm. you can take to actually make things work again. So that's a hard thing, isn't it, to to have to accept that there is nothing you can do at that stage. So people There's come a and lot have of hard things yeah. to accept so in toxic relationships. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone who's uh, coming to the uh, April. Uh, workshop um get they get to have a complimentary call with you don't they so if even if someone's just not sure and want to have a confidential session with you to find out what is the nature of the relationship i think that would be very valuable because how how do you know when you're when you're in the middle of it it's really hard please do that's brilliant thank you so when you're in the middle of it you're in the worst place to do something about it yourself so getting that clarity over it is so important brilliant thank you so much ruth see see you uh, well, later because we are on the california workshop aren't we four o'clock we in the are. morning heroes <laughs> so i'll see you then <laughs> go and get some kip now if i was you <laughs> bye Thank bye you. so um let's get ourselves i'm going to have a little bit of rant this there's an article here that i wanted to share with you it's by david lister in the yorkshire post david lister is a partner and head of family law at simpson miller it's a law firm and it's a very good article actually what no fault divorce law change will mean for families and children caught up in tug of love between parents dubbed the biggest shake-up in divorce for f- divorce law for 50 years the introduction of no fault divorce from april the 6th and this is in the uk has been widely welcomed as a positive step in removing much of the animosity traditionally associated with the process and helping to alleviate some of the pressure on the family courts. Um, obviously, Californians, you're way ahead uh, than, than the UK on this one. You've had no fault divorce for, for ages. Um, and I, I have been warning people, actually, that if they're in a rush to move on, um, they, as maybe they've worked with Ruth and realise there's nothing they can do and they, they need to to uh, to end the marriage, um, it will maybe, they, and they just want to get out the house are stuck in the same house together uh if there's any kind of time pressure that they should be aware that there could be a bit of a backlog in april because obviously there are people who've been waiting um and that's assuming the system all works properly so although april is near at hand if you are divorcing in the uk waiting till then may not necessarily be your best option especially if you're in an abusive relationship so you know it's it's likely to be tricky anyway so you, you know you may not be gaining that much so that's a a a tricky decision i know a few people are trying to make at the moment do i do it now or do i wait till april so this article continues however while no fault divorce certainly removes the initial hammer blow that comes with apportioning blame to one or other party and it says let's face it no one likes to be told their behavior has been unreasonable is it really the silver bullet everyone thinks it is i have my doubts says the article So few divorces are contested these days that part of me thinks that instead of just focusing on ending the blame game, time might have been better spent instead, for example, considering how to stop warring parents making false allegations against each other in children cases. 
This would have freed up the courts to focus on cases where children are actually at risk more than just their parents looking to have the final say. So hurrah, you're so right, David. I've spoken to fathers who, more than one, whose spouse has accused them of terrible things, that they have had to go to contact centres to see their children. And when the truth came out, no evidence at all that there was that these dads had in any way been any kind of danger to their children. It was literally in those cases, just the mothers um, being horrible, quite frankly, and, and wielding that power very effectively. And there was absolutely no comeback on those mothers, nothing at all. And I just, I don't understand how that can be. So I completely agree that that is an area that would be really good to focus on. Uh, David continues, even with no fault, the financial implications arising from separation are still going to be there. And the most precious things in the world, children will still need to navigate having two homes, and in my experience, he says, that's when the heat gets turned up. Traditionally, at this stage, negotiations happened in the boardroom of a law firm, both parties sitting at opposite ends of the table with their respective lawyers fighting their corners. It's an outdated approach that is totally out of touch with the growing demand for a more amicable solution, which is backed up by a recent poll that we did. This is what the, the law firm did this poll, which showed three quarters, 74% of divorcing couples want, get this, to keep things civil. Because, well, of course they do. Um, not that you'd think that reading the media, who seem to boost up any possible conflict and give uh, very little article space to successful peaceful trans transitions from married to co-parenting. But it's good to have it confirmed by that statistic. The article then says the figures speak for themselves. We can't wait another 50 years for things to improve again. And the onus falls on the legal profession to better meet the changing needs of consumers. We need to ask what we can do to help our clients navigate what are inevitably highly emotive, difficult conversations in the most balanced way possible. Sounds good, doesn't it? Not only will that help speed up the process and keep costs down, it will also help with ongoing relationships, which is vitally important, especially where children are concerned. Well, I have a suggestion. Um, how about not being the initial gatekeepers to divorce? Uh, if lawyers currently are, everyone just thinks, oh, I go to a lawyer. So by all means, provide a, a concierge service to those who can afford it. But wouldn't it be great if law firms are honest about the fact that for most families, the legal parts are the least of their worries, but that would involve a big shift in the business model. Because what law firm is going to allow its lawyers to say what I say, which is, talk to a financial expert, get a co-parenting plan on the go, use a mediator if things get messy. I'm here just to give some legal advice. Um, that's what, be the, what the lawyer would say. I don't give legal advice on an hourly basis. And if you want me to do all the boring filing form stuff uh, for you at a cost, I can do that. No problem. But you should save yourself a few hundred quid if you want by doing it yourself. Yeah, then that's just not going to happen, is it? So the article talks about helping clients to navigate highly emotive, difficult conversations in the most balanced way possible. But excuse me, lawyers are not counsellors. They are not trained coaches. They are not chartered financial planners. So how exactly are they qualified to help clients navigate highly emotive, difficult conversations in the most balanced way possible? So David says of this concept of, this concept of better navigation that but, but without describing how a law firm provides that, the benefits that are likely to be far reaching with evidence to suggest that divorces or separations fueled by conflict can impact on children's mental and physical health, he says, and well-being, which subsequently impacts their education and puts additional pressure on wider social and health healthcare services. And it's great that he's you know, talking about this because it's very rarely talked about. And he's absolutely right. The current divorce system even with no-fault divorce in place, is in truth still toxic with serious wide-ranging implications, not just for families, but for society as a whole. So David continues, of course, there are always going to be those people who want to take their ex for all they're worth. But what many people entering into the proceedings don't realise is that as part of a divorce settlement, you're entitled to what you need, not what you want. And rarely will a person's behaviour affect how assets are divided. Once people understand that to be the case, he says they tend to be far less combative through the process. And many clients are now even opting to use a same lawyer service, such as separating together, which is a relatively new and quite revolutionary offering that keeps cost and conflict down and helps to speed things up. Well, I'm all for the idea 
of same lawyer services, which obviously only works in clearly amicable divorces. But on that idea of many people entering into proceedings that don't realise that it's part of a divorce settlement that you're entitled to is, is what you need, what that rather than what you want, that's why the first person with assets to split, you should be talking to a specialised divorce financial planner, not not trying to do all that bit with a lawyer. So the financial expert can help you to access and present your actual needs, to keep a roof over your head, feed the family, uh, which provides a solid basis that's hard to argue with when you're cutting that deal with your soon-to-be ex. Which of course you can do in mediation with the financial planner there to answer questions if that's what you both want, instead of loads of expensive letters going backwards and forwards between solicitors. Of course, if it's amicable enough to use a shared lawyer, which I think is a great concept, that will save you a packet and reduce conflict, which, sad to say, often is generated by, let's not say the lawyers, but the system. So you're you're not going to get a shared lawyer arguing against themselves. So it's a great idea. But that doesn't change the fact that other professionals incorporated into a more holistic approach would be what really makes the difference, whether you share a lawyer or not. David ends his article saying, it, all it takes is a few brave firms to challenge the status quo and introduce new options for couples in conflict. And the landscape of divorce in England and Wales could genuinely change for the better once and for all. I love your sentiment, David, but just sharing a lawyer ain't going to cut it. And what about those people where it's messy? So the people I and my best way to divorce gang help are mostly not able to share a lawyer or use amicable divorces online service. It's much more complicated for them and they need a more robust alternative. But I'd like to be able to refer people to firms like yours that provide that shared lawyer option. So we should talk. So come on the show, David. Get in touch. Let's get you on. Let's get you on to talk to us. Now, we're going to get ready for a shared story. And I can see that Monica is waiting for us, so I'm looking forward to this. Welcome, Monica. And uh, thank, thank you so much. And just to let people know, we we were uh, we bumped into each other lately on the on the um, on the golf course. We weren't playing golf. We were just walking, and uh, you updated me uh, on your divorce. And then you told told something. I mean, I knew they were going digital and using artificial intelligence, but you've got a a little bit of a story to share about your experience of that. So j- just to begin with. What was it you because this wasn't filing for the petition, was it? This was filing, was it the consent order? It was much further along the line. So, I'm someone who thinks that they can manage all these forms with legal advice. So, I had some legal advice and was going through all the procedures and then hit a sort of block. So, at the stage where we had to um, file the consent order, which is updating all the financial information from the financial separation agreement, which we'd done 12 years previously as we'd been separated for 12 years, so there was no dispute about that. There were various ways I could do that, and I was taking the burden of actually doing the admin for this and in consultation with my husband who was living elsewhere in the UK. So I chose to do it on paper because I'm old-fashioned and older, not do that bit online. And it took the best part of a day running it all off, making sure it was all correct. And it's accompanied by other forms. I can't remember which ones, but crucially, a Form A. And the advice from the solicitor with the Form A was just fill in your details and then say, mark it for dismissal but the rest of the form was not relevant. So I did that. So I paid for my advice and put that in the post, registered post, sent it off. You know, and one gets very worried because the helplines are great. You can talk to people and they will advise you. The online advice is very confusing. I need that human contact. I need that communication that your previous guests have talked about in marriage but you also need it when you're going through a bureaucratic process. So I did all that and it was rejected. 
<clears throat> it was rejected out of hand because form A hadn't been filled in correctly. So all the consent order had all the information that was needed. There were seven boxes in form A, all of which didn't apply to me. And just, just to so, be clear, just to be clear, it was rejected. This wasn't rejected by a human, was it? No, it was. Well, when I phoned, I started phoning and spoke to the financial remedy office and got nowhere. And they just said it's been rejected by, the, I don't know what, the system. <laughs> so I asked to speak to a manager. The manager finally phoned me back and explained that there were these seven boxes. And unless they went through the artificial intelligence system, it was no good. And I said, none of them apply to us. I'm not willing to do that. She said, well, you have to. I suggest you do this one. So and effectively, said, was she telling you to lie on, a, on an official legal yes. form? That was the advice. I said, I said, I can't believe this. I'm absolutely <laughs> flabbergasted. And I was flabbergasted and absolutely didn't know what to do. And I said, I really don't know what to do. I'm not willing to lie. All the information in all the forms is about telling the truth their legal forms, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, what do you advise me to do? So she said, I advise you to go back to the solicitor. So I discussed this with my husband, who we were friendly. We'd been doing this together. And I did go back to her thinking, oh, well, it's going to cost us a few hundred more pounds to get her to do it. And at that stage, I was crying. I couldn't mm. deal with it. I didn't want to know. And so she dealt with it. And when the bill came, it was £700 just for that bit. And I, I was... And, and, she, and she didn't have to lie on the form in order for the AI to accept it? I don't accept know. It. I, I don't <laughs> didn't think ask. so. I don't think so. She had what was called a portal. The manager from the financial remedy service called it a portal. So I think she had gained entrance. They go going so through I a different was, route. Yeah. Yeah, I was really exercised by this, Susie, because yeah. I was listening to the Reef Lectures before Christmas on Radio 4 by Professor Stuart Russell, who's a British computer scientist, and he was talking about AI and how it works in our society. And we're really at the beginning of it working. Um, and he was saying, in the end, you have to have human control. You have to have yeah. people-friendly ways of using it. And this HMCTS procedure is not fit for purpose. It is not user-friendly. And let's, and let's see with the relaunch in April if it's any better. So that will be interesting. I think they're hoping to uh, improve on it uh, then. But yeah, we all, we all know what that usually means when it comes to technology. But I hope they get it right because if they get it right, it, it, it should make the whole process less onerous you know, and, and a, an awful lot less expensive. And it's bad enough doing it, let, yeah. let alone having to have all the distress with yeah. the forms and the procedures. Yeah, it's like last thing you need. Imagine, luckily, you'd had 12 years to, to get over the divorce, you know, to, to have the, the separation. separation. If you were in the thick of it, it would be yeah. horrific. So just before you go, because um, uh, you, 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 uh, to share what you do, because you do something really interesting. You train, train. Okay. It's a special kind of I, writing, isn't it? Special kind I'm of a writing. writer and a practitioner in the healing arts, and I work with people to sort out all sorts of things about their lives or whatever through writing. So I use mm. writing as a practice for well-being and it's an amazing process. Yeah. Um, so anyone interested in writing, it's a therapeutic and a creative process. So it's not a therapy per se, but it's definitely therapeutic mm. and creative. Put some, put some, on the imagination and it helps you relate better to yourself and to other people yeah pop pop um, when i i'll send you a link to where this goes out be good pop a link on there so people can find out a bit more because i think it's really any forms of healing it should be investigated we're, we're very big on that on this show yeah well, i can talk to you more about it another time lovely thank you so much for showing that and i'm so glad it's over and sorted now. yes it is Hurrah. over <laughs> thank you so much monica <laughs> bye-bye so quick uh, uh, thanks for Monica. I grabbed her off the, grabbed her off the golf course. So please come on my show. So we've got uh, April workshop coming up. Um, here's the is the team. This part of it, and you get complimentary sessions with all of them if you get a ticket. 
and you'll find the information and access to the tickets on the Best Way to Divorce app, which is bestwaytodivorce.online. We'll take you straight to the app. And we also have the California one. Uh, if you're in California, it's at on Thursday at 8 till 10. If you're uh, me and Ruth, who are uh, <laughs> going to be on it, we're going to be 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, Friday morning. But uh, really looking forward to it. It's the first one of uh, running these and looking forward to having our guests who've uh, got their tickets in on that. Now, we were, were going to have Susan, uh, but I've lost her, quite frankly. So what I'm going to do is give us a healing with Debbie, which is pre-recorded, but it's a lovely one. Enjoy. And if everyone would please close their eyes, and I'm going to put each one of us under a shower of universal love so that you can be washed down, cleaned down, inside and out. And feel that shower on you. And now we're going to imagine a white light sword that is going to come through the top of your head, your top chakra. And this white light is going to regenerate all your chakras as it goes down through you. So let's start with the very top chakra. And this is your spiritual chakra, purple, om. And let this light regenerate it. Make sure that the color is true, that it's spinning correctly around this white light. And then when you feel that it's had been regenerated enough, let the light just move down to the next chakra, which is your third eye, and which is a dark blue and let that regenerate. Needs to be spinning nicely, not all over the place. Good color, a true color. And let the white light make it into a true color. And then the light goes further down into your throat. And this chakra is for peace. And it is a light blue. And see that spinning. And feel the peace that it generates. Going further down, the light is going to enter your heart, and this chakra is green. And further down to your solar plexus, which is your power, your connection with others. And this is gold. And let it go further into your abdomen. And the next chakra is orange and that is for relationships let it spin and now further down to your base chakra which is red and make sure that red is a nice true red no no um, dingy spots no dark places in it and see that it spins correctly and now the light is going to go through you and out and start pooling around your feet. And it's going to become a large puddle. And as it comes through you even more, it's going to develop into a lake. And even more, it's going to go as far as the eye can see. And whatever is in that pathway is going to be converted to the light. So all the dark little bits and pieces can be converted to the light. And now we're going to take our bazookas out, our mental bazookas out, and aim them at the dark cloud hovering above your head. And see that black cloud shatter and splinter and leave you. And what is there in its stead? And we'll take the bazooka again and aim it at the black cloud behind the small of your back and see that evaporate. And now we are going to peel ourselves like a grape of the things that encompass us and are at tight bonds around us. So we will start off with betrayal 
Let us peel ourselves of betrayal. And again, peel yourself of anger. And peel yourself of despair. And how about fear? Fear of the future, fear what's going to happen now. And how about hatred? Heal yourself off. And I'm sure you can all think of one or two that you might be carrying. Would you do that for yourselves now? Okay. Right, we are now going to reconnect ourselves with the Creator. So taking the energy from your heart up through the top of your head and send it out to the Creator. And the Creator is going to send back to you the Creator's energy through the top of your head, down through all the chakras to the base, and then back up to the heart. Breathe it in. And we're going to do the same to our souls. Taking the energy from the heart up through the top of the head and off to the soul and then from the soul back to you down through from the top of your head to the base chakra and back up to the heart breathe it in and now repeat three times i reclaim my power i reclaim my power i reclaim my power and we're going to put as the last thing, the shamanic circles of protections around us. So seven circles, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Read them all in and when you're ready, open your eyes. Thank you. it our little bit of healing thank you debbie and we're just going to round off now um I've got, we're making good time because i've got my secret divorce uh, gathering on zoom in a minute so i always have to i have to finish on time otherwise i'll be late for that and uh, thank you for joining me um and in this this war of divorce that so many people have to deal with let's help everyone make peace their weapon of choice